Chapter number two. Do jihad with the Quran. R.V.C. Bartley once said about the Holy Quran, This book transformed the simple shepherds, the merchants and nomads of Arabia into warriors and empire builders. The revelation of the Quran's commandments on jihad began to be revealed from Mecca. Among the Quran verses that were revealed in the context of suffering and hardship, there were verses that motivate the believers to wage jihad. See the last verse in Surah Al-Angabut, which was revealed in Mecca. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِيْنَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ But as for those who engage themselves in jihad, strive for us. We shall guide them in our ways. Truly, Allah is with the virtues. Chapter number 29, verse number 69. What is a form of jihad which believers were supposed to wage in Mecca? The last words of Surah Al-Furqan, which the Quran commentators date to the Mecca period, clearly answers this question. So obey not the disbelievers, but wage jihad, strive against them by means of it, with a great striving. Chapter number 25, verse number 52. What is jihad, which one is supposed to wage with the Qur'an? It is clear that this jihad is ideological struggle. The weapon with which the Prophet Muhammad had waged jihad for the long 13 years was the Qur'an. He kept on waging jihad with the verses of the Qur'an as and when they were revealed. It was this jihad that caused tempest of change in the minds of many people in Mecca. Jihad which the believers waged with the Quran caused the hardened, rock-like minds carved by polytheism and self-styled living to break forth clear springs of mercy and kindness and to flow into a river of divine vision so as to be useful for people in Arabia and in the surroundings. How many stone-hearted there were whom the Qur'an rendered into soft-hearted. We can see this from the transformation of Umar bin Khattab. One day, Umar came out, girt with his sword, with the aim of killing the apostle. Nu'aym bin Abdullah al-Naham al-Adwi met him and asked him where he was going. I'm making for Muhammad. You deceive yourself, Umar, he answered. Do you suppose that Banu Abdul Manaf, Hashim and Sahara tribes will allow you to continue walking upon the earth when you have killed Muhammad? Hearing this, Umar said, It appears that you have forsaken the religion of your forefathers and accepted the new religion. He said, Your brother-in-law and your sister Fatima have both become Muslims and followed Muhammad in his religion, so you had better go and deal with them. Thereupon, Umar returned to his sister and brother-in-law at the time when Khabab bin Arrat was with them. When they heard Umar's voice, Khabab hid in a small room. Umar had heard the reading of Khabab as he came near the house. So when he came in, he said, What is this humming I heard? We were merely talking to each other, they answered. He said, And I have been told that you have followed Muhammad in his religion. His brother-in-law said, what if a religion which is not yours is true? Umar seized his brother-in-law, and his sister Fatima rose in defense of her husband. 
and he hit her and wounded her. When he did that, they said to him, Yes, we are Muslims and we believe in God and his apostle and you can do what you like. When Umar saw the blood in his sister, he was sorry for what he had done and turned back and said to his sister, Give me this sheet which I heard you reciting just now so that I may see just what it is which Muhammad has bought. When he said that, his sister said to him, My brother, you cannot touch it with impurities. So Umar rose and washed himself and she gave him the page in which it was written, In the name of Allah, the merciful and compassionate. The chapter he recited was Surah At-Taha. Verily, I am Allah, there is no God but I, so worship me and perform the prayer for the remembrance of me. Chapter number 20, verse number 1 to 14. When he had read the beginning, he said, How fine and noble is this speech. Show me where Muhammad is. When he heard that, Khabab emerged and said, O Umar, by God, I hope that God has singled you out by his prophet's call. For last night, I heard him saying, O God, strengthen Islam by Abu al-Hakim bin Hisham or by Umar bin Khattab. Come to God, come to God, Umar. Umar went ahead from there to the house of Arqam, where the prophet was and declared, I stand witness to the fact that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Makkah has witnessed a situation in which even the opponents of the Prophet obey the commandments of the Qur'an, fascinated by the bewitching beauty of the Qur'anic verses. Authentic hadith report the incident that when Prophet recited the 53rd verse of Surah Al-Najm, his followers prostrated, heeding the command in the words for prostration, and the polytheists who had been there listening to the recitation also laid down. The two hadiths in Sahih Bukhari are remarkable in this context. Abdullah reports, the Prophet recited Surah Al-Najm, chapter number 103 at Mecca, and prostrated were reciting it. And those who were with him did the same, except an old man who took a handful of small stones or earth and lifted it to his forehead and said, This is sufficient for me. And later on, I saw him killed as a non-believer. It is reported on the authority of Ibn Abbas. The Prophet ﷺ prostrated while reciting an Najm, and with him prostrated the Muslims, the pagans, the jinns, and all human beings. Many followers of the Prophet ﷺ have stated, as their reason to embrace Islam, the oral beauty of the Quran while they were hearing it, and its meaning getting deeply rooted in their mind. Another follower of the Prophet ﷺ has the following witness statement. Jubair bin Mut'im reported, I heard the Prophet ﷺ reciting Surah At-Tur in the evening prayer. When the Prophet ﷺ recited this verse, were they created by nothing or were they themselves the creators? Or did they create the heavens and the earth? Rather, they are not certain. Or do they own the treasures of your Lord? Or have they been given the authority? Chapter number 52, verse number 35 to 37. I was having my heart in my mouth then. Polytheists in Mecca were aware that the noble Quran had that magical power to transform the heart of people. Therefore, they desired that their wives and children should not listen to its recitation and took precautions for that. Though the polytheists wanted honest and truthful Muslims to exist in Mecca, even they were on a spree to torture them. 
They feared that Muslims' recital of the Qur'an would transform the mind of people. That is the reason why they placed before the asylum providers of Muslims the condition that they were not to be allowed to read the Qur'an aloud, lest their countrymen and family members would be attracted to the Qur'an. See an incident. Aisha reports, Ever since I knew my parents, they have professed the true religion. Not even a day passed in our life without the Prophet ﷺ visiting us twice, mornings and evenings. Allah had given permission for the persecuted Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia. On his way, when the migrants reached Barak al-Ghimad, Abu Bakr saw a man approaching him from distance. He recognized him straight away as the chief of Al-Qara tribe, Ibn al-Dughna. Where are you going, Abu Bakr? he asked. My people have forced me to leave, so I will now travel about freely worshipping my Lord, Abu Bakr replied. Then Ibn al-Dughna said, Someone of your social standing and character shouldn't voluntarily leave or be forced to leave. You provide for the needy. You join family ties, support the weak, honor your guests and help others who are in trouble. I will provide for you with protection. Return home and worship there. Then Abu Bakr returned accompanied by Ibn al-Dughna that evening. Wandering around the elites in Quraysh, Ibn al-Dughna said, Certainly, someone like Abu Bakr should not be forced to leave. How could someone like him be expelled as he provides for the needy, joins family ties, supports the weak, honors his guests and helps others who are in trouble? However, the Quraysh leaders did not reject the refuge given by Ibn al-Dughna. They told him, You ask Abu Bakr to pray in his own house. Let him recite the Qur'an in the privacy of his house. Let him not disturb us and let him not publicly perform the prayer. We fear that he will mislead our women and children. Abu Bakr went along with their plan, but it did not take him long until he decided to do things in his own way. He built a place of prayer in his yard and began to pray there. Some women and children passing by began to notice what he was doing. Abu Bakr used to cry a lot while reading the Qur'an. This frightened the Quraysh leaders. They called for Ibn al-Dughna and said, We have agreed in principle your protection for Abu Bakr on condition that he would offer prayer to his God in secrecy. But he violated that condition and has built a masjid in the courtyard, thereby publicizing his prayer and the recitation of the Qur'an. We fear that he would mislead our women and children. You should prevent him. If he agrees to restrict his prayer to the privacy of his house, he could do that. But if he insists that he will perform the prayer in public, ask him to resign the contract of your protection. We would not like to go back on the contract with you. We cannot ever acknowledge Abu Bakr's public prayer. Aisha continues, Ibn al-Dughna went straight to Abu Bakr's house and said, You know what we agreed upon. So either you follow the terms of our agreement, or you return to me my guarantee of protection. I do not want other Arabs to find out that my guarantee of safety for a man was ignored and violated, said Ibn al-Dughna. Then I return to you your guarantee of safety, and I am satisfied and pleased with the protection of Allah, the processor of might and majesty, replied Abu Bakr. There was none in Mecca who was unswaved by the Qur'an. However, they were prevented from accepting the religion of truth by their fear of losing positions and power. An example was Walid bin Mughira, a famous Quraysh leader and poet. Though the Qur'an attracted him, he resorted to the denial of the Qur'an and rejected it, 
scared as he was about losing his position in the society. Quran exegetes who detailed the context of the verses from 11 to 30 in Surah Al-Muddasir mention this incident. The summary of the historical context is as follows. Walid ibn Mughira, who belonged to Bani Maqsum tribe of the Quraysh, was a rich man and was a man of letters, was known as the fragrant plant of the Quraysh, Rayhanat Quraysh. Once he approached the Prophet wasallam, who recited Hamim Sajda, the 41st surah of the Quran. As he was attracted by the verses, he extolled them in his praises. Abu Jahl, having heard of this incident, rebuked Walid ibn Mughira and told him that if he did not criticize the Prophet and the Quran, the people would turn against him. Then he said, What do I have to say about him? By Allah, there is none among you who know poetry, versification and affairs of jinn better than I do. By Allah, his verses are sweet and would surely trample all inferior poetry under it. This would become higher and none would surpass it. Forced by Abu Jahl to say against the Quran and Prophet Muhammad Walid had to finally save his face by saying that the Quran is sorcery. Though Walid's mind was swayed by the beauty and charm of the Quran, as well as the solemnity of his ideas, Walid was dissuaded from accepting the call of the Quran by his attraction to luxury and fame. This was the context in which the Quranic verses were revealed in criticism of Walid's action. The meaning of the verses is as follows. Leave me alone with the one whom I created. I gave him vast wealth and sons at his side. I made smooth the way for him, yet he desires that I give him more. Nay, truly he sets himself against our signs. I shall constrain him to endure a deep accent. Truly, he reflected and determined. May he perish for how he determined. Then may he perish for how he determined. Then he beheld. Then he frowned and scorned. Then he turned his back and waxed arrogant and said, This is not but sorcery handed down. This is not but the speech of a human being. I shall cast him into Sakhar hell. And what will apprise thee of Sakhar? It spares not nor leaves behind. It scorches the human being. Over its supervision are appointed 19 persons. Chapter number 74, verse number 11 to 30. History tells us about many people who accepted Islam after having been attracted by the beauty 
of the Quran. Abdullah bin Muqaf was one of them, who was trying to write a rejoinder to the Quran and came to listening to a boy reading 44th verse of Surah Al-Hud in the holy book. His mind was so quickly transformed by the words that he declared, By God, it is impossible to write a criticism of the Quran, and I bear witness to the fact that it is not a verse made by man. Another important person was Jubair bin Mut'im, who came to hear the 7th and 8th verses of Surah At-Tur. Another remarkable incident was that Usaid ibn Haydar, Prophet's representative from Medina, Musa ibn Umair was asked not to recite the Quran, which would, in their opinion, misguide the soft-minded people. However, Musa asked Usaid to listen to the Quran for some time, and when Usaid agreed to listen, he accepted the faith. Usaid requested Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, leader of the Aus tribe, to listen to the recitation, and he too accepted the faith. There were many prominent people in the Prophet's time who were guided by the Qur'an to accept the faith. It is on the basis of the recitation of Musa ibn Umair that historians accept the fact that Islam won Medina over to the Prophet's way, not through sword. The Qur'an keeps wafting the wind of change in the minds of people, even after the time of the Prophet. Muhammad Marmaduke Pictal, for example, was born to a pasture in the Anglican Church he learned the Qur'an and accepted Islam. Eventually, he became a renowned translator of the Qur'an. Another great example was that of Muhammad Asad. He was born Leopold Wiss in a family of Jewish rabbis, studied the Qur'an, embraced Islam. He wrote a Qur'an commentary in English. Other two great figures who reached Islam through the light of the Qur'an and who stood at the forefront to bring the light of the Qur'an to the world are Cat Stevens and Emily Francois Salah the great musician and actor, respectively. While he was adorning the highest position in the Western music, Stevens had the opportunity to listen to the Qur'an, accept Islam and the name of Yusuf Islam, and spread the mission of Islam thereafter. During her career as an actress, Emily Francois learned the Qur'an and accepted Islam, and the name Miriam Francois. She is now on the mission to propagate Islam, Christian missionary evangelist Joshua Evans accidentally came across the Qur'an while learning the Bible and was led to accept Islam and propagate the Qur'an. Daniel Shriek was Swiss politician, one of the leaders of People's Party, who argued that Muslims should not be allowed to build mosques in Switzerland and attempted to win people over to his position. He came to learn the Qur'an in order to popularize his political mission. This led to his acceptance of Islam. These are examples from the Western world of the transformation caused by the Qur'an of the darkest minds. What the Prophet achieved through jihad with the Qur'an was the miracle of making the morally wayward Bedouin leaders capable of showing people guidance and becoming role models. The jihad of the Qur'an is still going on by weaning people from superstition and thraldom caused by modernity and by motivating them to transform their families and society through a purified and morally upright way of life. It is not a weapon, but the Qur'an that has become a means to transform the heart of a people. The Qur'an introduces the jihad with the Qur'an as the greatest jihad, as it helps to transform the heart of the people.